we're going to work through 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today. And, and we're going to just take our time and, and kind of walk through two metaphors that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians. And uh, these metaphors are used for spiritual growth representing our walk with God multiple times in Scripture, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I think we need to take some time to look at these metaphors and specifically to ask questions. Because I can tell you, and this is especially true, if you're new to the Bible, um, one of the best and most practical ways to use the Bible as a tool for your spiritual growth is to read a passage and begin to ask questions. And, and I know for me still, you know, my, my best seasons of growth are when I'll zero in on some, on some specific questions from Scripture and, and just take some time in a journal, spiral notebook, whatever, and work through the answers to those questions. So if you would like to follow along, and I would encourage you to, fire up the smartphone or grab a green Bible or maybe you brought yours and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, I think there's enough house light for everybody to see, and um, and it's, if you have a green Bible, it's on page 794. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and while you get there, I'll remind you that uh, 1 Corinthians was really a letter written to uh, the city of Corinth shortly after the church began to expand in, in, in first century A.D., and one of the biggest deals that Paul, who's the author, is, is dealing with is that these Christians in this early church, and there might have only been a few dozen of them, uh, there was no Jesus, no Jesus in the culture. Uh, it was a very pagan, unchurched culture. And so all this stuff is brand new uh, to these Corinthian Christians, and they're struggling a little bit. So, okay. Chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it yet. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, I remember Paul and Apollos were two of their Christian leaders, and they're like teaming up based on who their leader guy that they like. Like you guys are all, I follow Marcus. No, I follow Alex. I know you have those debates. <laughs> um, but that's what they were doing uh, in that church. And, and he says, so are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos, and what after all is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field. <coughs> so there are two main metaphors in this passage. One has to do with babies maturing, 
And that's used multiple times in Scripture for spiritual growth. And the other has to do with the field. Uh, seeds, uh, like a farming metaphor. Thus, the big red tractor. So let's start, and, and I just really want to walk through and ask some questions. Uh, and, and maybe one or two of these questions will resonate, and you can stick with them this week. And that's how we grow from, from Scripture. So let's start with the beginning of the, of the passage that we read. Uh, Paul says that, that you are, he's telling the Christians, you're acting like babies. You're spiritual infants when you should be growing and you're not. So what Paul's saying is, spiritually speaking, we're like kids in many ways. And because of that, there should be growth. Now, now there's a fundamental principle underneath all that he labels. He says, there are really two kinds of people. There are people who are of the world and there are people who are of the spirit. And another way that he says it in the original language is, is the idea of the flesh. He says, you're acting of the flesh, self-centered, here and now centered, stuff you can taste and touch and see. That's what you're interested in. You are, you are not spiritual, which implies the eternal, the selfless, the ways of God. And so we all start out very um, natural or human, as Paul says. And the hope is that we develop into spiritually minded people. So maybe one thing to ask yourself and write in your little spiral notebook from this passage, and this may be all you need today to walk away with. Am I more worldly or more spiritual? And then add really at the end of that question. Am I... Am I more worldly or more spiritual? And your actions will dictate the answer to that. But as far as Paul's concerned, the goal is to be governed spiritually by the ways of God or by the Holy Spirit of God and the work that he's doing, not to be primarily concerned about yourself and your flesh and the here and now and the temporary. And so it's a simple question. Are you more spiritual or more worldly? And, and I guess if the answer is, well, I'm, I'm, I'm worldly, do you really want to stay that way? Really? And so let's move now to the, the idea of, of the infant. Um, Paul's saying you, you, there's a problem you're not growing. And he compares us to infants. And, and all over God's word, um, there's this idea of the child being the perfect example for spiritual growth. Jesus goes so far as to say, unless you become like a kid, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a big statement, isn't it? Unless you get to thinking about kids and understanding kids and acting more like kids, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He also says, don't mess with little kids because of such are the kingdom of heaven. So there's something very powerful about this child analogy, and we probably need to camp out here for a few minutes. And I think the first, the first piece of this analogy that really fits, or metaphor that really fits for us to contemplate, is, is implied in, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, and that is that kids naturally grow. If you're a kid and everything is healthy and typical, you're growing and you're growing fast. But not only that, um, if we really want to explore this metaphor, I think we need to think about the, how, how kids are obsessed with growth. 
If you really want to compare your spiritual condition to a child, we need to think about how obsessed children are with growth. So my kids right now, they're, uh, all they're thinking about is the next age. My five-year-old, who turned five less than oh, a little over a month ago, I guess now, is already saying, when am I six? My eight-year-old is saying, am I eight and a half yet? It's like somewhere in my early 20s, I stopped being concerned about that next age. <clears throat> but kids are constantly wanting to grow, wanting to get older. My children um, will, will, will often go into Elijah's room, my five-year-old's room, at the, at the growth chart thing, and, and they want to see how much have I grown. And, and then they'll compare who, who grew more since last May. And, and so there's this desperate desire in every kid to grow. And, and maybe a question that we could wrestle with uh, in our spiritual lives is, am I as desperate to grow spiritually as children are to grow physically? Because we're really like kids. There's this, there's this obsession that they have with growth. And, and, and something, uh, if I'm really honest about myself, I'm, I'm not usually there. And there's so much to gain spiritually from growth, from growing closer to God. Uh, but... But really, in my heart of hearts, I guess I get distracted. Maybe the world just sort of rubs out that desire for growth. But if you had to, you know, scale of 1 to 10, uh, what's the average kid's desire to grow? It's pretty close to a 10. I mean, they obsess over, over getting bigger and older. Uh, but how about you? And, of course, this applies to me as well. Scale of 1 to 10, what's your desire to grow spiritually, to grow closer to God. And maybe, maybe what you realize is that there's a fundamental problem there, that I just don't want it bad enough. And so maybe your prayer is, God, help me to want to grow as much spiritually as a child wants to grow physically. But there's another part of this metaphor that, that God, just in my life right now, I really feel like, like God is saying, hey, look at this. There's a boldness in development with kids. And, and maybe this is different with boys and girls. I don't, I don't know much about little girls. Um, but, but my boys will push every limit, um, especially the younger they are, to get to the next physical milestone. Like it's, Dad, watch me jump from the bookcase to the couch. I, I'm trying to make it to the couch now. I, I can almost get there. You know, now I don't need the ottoman anymore to break my fall. Now I can make it all the way to the couch. Or, or you know, sliding off banisters, two-story banisters and foyers, um, jumping off garages, whatever, whatever it is, training wheels off of, off of bikes, Whatever that next thing is, there is a fearlessness, and, and you watch it fade as self-preservation becomes more of a part of our life. But there's a fearlessness in young children to do the most that they are capable of doing, and maybe a little bit beyond. And I think one of the things that Jesus admires is that faith that it takes and that just desire for greatness in kids that we can apply to our own spiritual lives and say, man, am I, am I that bold? 
if, if God says he can do this much through me, how much do I really want to do? Do I want to do this much or do I want to do this much? And, and maybe the only question you need to ask is, am I as bold spiritually as a child is physically? So there's this deep desire for growth and this boldness to get to the next level of accomplishment that children have and that we somehow lose. And, and maybe the jolt our walk with God, our spiritual lives need, is just that focus on that metaphor of we need to be more like kids. There's got to be growth, and there's got to be desire for growth. And if there's not, there's probably something a little out of whack there. So now let's move on to the second um, farming, uh, this, the second metaphor, and, and maybe ask some more questions. Um, so, so Paul right here says that there's, you know, there's a field and there's seeds and there's watering and there's a harvest and there's growth and all through scripture and all through the words of Jesus, he's saying the same thing. God's message to us is, and and I'm talking a, a, a monstrous woven metaphor through all of scripture, the idea of the harvest. In fact, you can maybe even argue that the reason there are rains and harvests is, is, is this ultimate word picture of what God is doing in our lives. Um, so there's a lot to be gained from, from this understanding that God looks at the world uh, like a harvest and, and, and it should impact our, our walk with him in, in different ways. So let's just start at the basic premise of all this, that there is a harvest in this world. And what that implies is that God is active. Um, when When you think about the whole farming analogy, it implies that there is someone who is doing something intentional. So there are many views of God. Um, one of which is agnosticism, or the idea that, yes, there's a God, um, or if there is a God, we can't really know him, uh, and there's no reason to believe that he's still involved, kind of like a watchmaker. Sometimes it's called the watchmaker theory, that God has created this complex watch, wound it up, and it just runs itself. Now, it's estimated that one in four Americans falls in this view, um, that, which is interesting because it's also estimated that like 75% of Americans are Christians, but one in, five, one in four believes that um, the world's just kind of wound up on its own. We can't know who God is. And, you know, all due respect, maybe that's the right view, but we need to understand it's not the biblical view. The view of Scripture is consistently that God has created this world and that he, is in, that he is still involved in it, at least as much involved in it as a farmer is involved in his fields. And that's pretty involved. So maybe, maybe you just need to ask yourself today the question you just, what is my view of God? And understand that the Bible's view of God is that he is a farmer, which means he's very active. Now, when I was at a church, I was at a little country church in Kentucky through my college, and I would go there and I would preach there in that little church of like 40, 45 people on on the weekends. I would take my girlfriend, Kelly, and she would sing some. (coughs) Um, and, 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 And so this was a church of farmers, and they had been up, you know, it'd be like 45 degrees outside, and they had been up since 
shortly before the crack of dawn doing whatever they do because I don't know much about farming. But I know you would watch them and that, that heater in that church would crank up to like 85 degrees. And you would just see, not only when I was speaking, <laughs> but you'd just watch those guys and just... I mean, they would just, just like a light switch. They're out because they're on the brink of exhaustion because the work they did was so intense. Because farming is intense. And so if God is like a farmer and there's really crops and harvests all around, it means that God is very involved. And now you may look at this analogy and say, well, he's not involved in my life, but I want you to think about something. There is a good part of the farming season where really a carefully plowed field looks like a pile of dirt and smells like cow crap, right? I mean, like there's a whole portion of of the existence of this very intentional act of care that looks like dirt and smells like manure, and if you didn't know better, you could say, you know, you got the farmer comes and he plows your field, and you're like, all you did was ruin the grass. It's just a bunch of dirt with, with manure on it. He says, well, you're going to have to give it time. And you go on this, like, three-day trip, coming back expecting to finally see this, and it's still just a pile of dirt. And it still has that country smell to it. it smells like Amish people. <laughs> I have Amish roots. I can say things like that. My grandma's name is Yoder. Um, the point is that, that, that God is involved and we're not always going to see it and the whole farming analogy is there and it's about planting and watering and much of that time you can't even see what's going on because it's all underneath the ground and that's the way God set it up and that's the way God says our world operates so, so the first piece of this analogy is that, is that there's, God's like a farmer. He's very involved in what's going on. The second part of this analogy that, that I think, a uh, metaphor that, that applies to our lives and needs to apply to our lives, is that when you, when, you, when you extrapolate the metaphor, you realize that it's really all about people. It's like the only thing that really matters in farming are the harvest, are the crops, the seeds that come become the plants, that, that become the crop. And, and God says, this is like a field, and, and, or this, this is like farming, and the people are the harvest. And, and so it's, all, it's, it's really all about people. Um, Jesus once said, I, the reason I came, the reason he came, was to find people who were far from God. The Bible says that God desires for all men and women to be saved, meaning made whole, transformed, made complete, and come to a knowledge of of him. Uh, Time and again, the Bible reminds us that this is really all about people. So if we're going to understand this farming analogy, it's it's us shifting as individuals and as a church and, and, and realizing that this really is everything that we do. It's really all about Jesus and all about people. Jesus is all about people, and so we need to be all about people. Um, Jesus once looked at, looked out at the crowds and said, the fields are ripe for the harvest. When Jesus sees people, he sees crops. He sees a harvest, and, 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 and it's, that's what it's all about. And if we say we follow Jesus, then that means that we need to adopt his view of people 
And our lives need to be all about people. And so maybe your question from this that you need to wrestle through is, is my life all about people the way a farmer's life is all about the crops? Or is my life all about people the way Jesus' life was all and is all uh, about people? Because there are a lot of things that compete for our time and energy. Um, we spend a lot of time, uh, and it, you know, it's all about the more stuff. It's all about the better job. It's all about my family's security. It's all about money. It's all about the bank accounts. Well, you know, whatever it is, what is it all about for you, really? And that may be the question that you write down at the top of the spiral notebook. What is my life all about, really? Am I really all about people? And then the next move in the farming analogy that the, Paul says that you know some were called to water it and some were called to plant it. Uh, not only are we just the harvest because people are the harvest, but we're also in the farming business. God says we're a part of it. Um, we have a role. We have a limited role. And so, so maybe that's your question. Do I have a role in this? Am I really fulfilling a role in what God is doing around me? So God is, is farming the field. Are you in it with him? Or are you just the one receiving? Are you really in it? You have a role, and, and, and that's, that can be tough because um, we get caught up in the comparisons. And if you look at the initial problems of, of, of the, the Corinthians, they were looking so highly on these leaders when what Paul says is, no, we're all just in the process. We're all just servants. So there's no disqualifying yourself from this. There's really no disqualifying yourself from farming, from being a part of the harvest. Um, we all have a role, but it's limited. And this is where we get into what might be, uh, if you're a seasoned follower of Jesus, this is the kind of stuff that we really get hung up on, or at least that I do. Paul says, I planted it, Apollos watered it, but who made it grow? God. So who controls the outcome, really? God. So we have a role to fulfill things that God calls us to do. And as you spell it out in this passage, uh, it is our responsibility to get that job done. But it's God's responsibility to determine the outcome. And so, so this can, this is, there's a part of this that is very freeing. One of the best things about being a human being is that God is in control. We don't, the growth isn't up to us. So you pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and serve and serve and serve and hope that your spouse or your child will one day become a follower of Jesus. You plant and you water and you plant and you water and you plant and you water. But in many ways, God says, you know what? The outcome is my business. Um, you're looking for a job or whatever that thing you're worried about is. And you pray and you work and you pray and you work and you do what you can and you pray and you work and you pray and you work. But in the end, the outcome 
is up to God. And so there's this freeing thing in this is that God doesn't call you to save the world. He calls you to work at it. So the best part about being a human being is that God is in control. You want to know the worst part about being a human being? God is in control. And that's the flip side of this is that there's just a certain amount of this that that we can't control. It doesn't mean that we don't work at it. It means that we understand our limited role and that we are faithful to our limited role. So this is all a field. People are what it's all about. And God desires to transform every single life. God wants everybody you know to be in a relationship with him. And you're in that work with God. And it's not your job to save that person. It is your job to work alongside of God and do the things that he asks of you in those friendships and relationships that point to God. But in the end, it's God's business. Um, And we have to be okay with that. Let me finish up with, with this big red tractor idea. Because in the passage, man, there's this powerful thing that it's said can plow a field and do the unimaginable. And, and there's doubts and there's probably fears and there's laughter and denial. Um, but then there's, there's, there's enough belief in the story that one day the, the big red tractor gets fired up and, and, and does the unthinkable. <clears throat> and what we have to deal with is there's this harvest out there that needs plowed, representing people who need Jesus. And I know if you look at the statistics, it's something like 50, 40, 50, 60, something like that, 1,000 people, 50,000 people within a very short driving distance of right where we are who don't have a church home, who don't have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, that's what the stats would say. And God wants, I mean, that's the field. God wants that, God wants that all. He, want, he wants them all. And, and there's this promise in Scripture that the Holy Spirit, the creative power of God, Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. So what happens when the big red tractor gets fired up and the whole field gets plowed in one night. And what we have to decide as followers of Jesus, can we believe that? Can God get fired up and plow the whole thing in a short amount of time? Can he do that? We have to decide. You have to decide, what do I believe about that? I have to decide, what do I believe about that? And then, and, and then we're probably going to say, well, yeah, he can do that. And then we have to decide, well, what, what role do I want to play in that? Um, do I want to be in that, or do I want to be a, an innocent bystander watching it happen? As a church, because those people are going to go somewhere, we have to decide what role do we want to play in that. And, and that's, that's been a struggle for me. Um, what does it mean if God, you know, what does it mean for the big red tractor to do its thing? And, and knowing there's 50,000 people who, who God wants 
to be a part of a church, to be in his family. And, and, and because these, these things are lining up. When you look at, at the past few years of Polaris, it really seems like that red tractor is plowing. What happens if we've just seen the start of it? What does that mean for you being a part of this? What does that mean for me being a part of this? What does it mean for us? Um, so lots of questions in these two simple metaphors. And I really do hope that you will just, just kind of ask, you know, what was the question or questions that really stuck deep down? Uh, am I more worldly or spiritual? Am I bold like a child? Am I growing in desire? Do I desire to grow like a child? What's my view of God? Do I look at people like it's all about people? Am I fulfilling my role? What if there is a big red tractor that can do the unimaginable? What does that mean for me? So I hope you'll wrestle with those this week. And, um, and, and beyond, and, and we're going to do, I think, one more song, and if there is anything at all that, that you have to pray about, I hope we'll all pray together, um, inviting God to fire it up and ready to be a part of it willingly, uh, but if there's anything else that you need to pray about, anything at all, just come on forward during the song, and, and we'll pray for you up here. Um, would you stand, and I'm going to pray, and then during the song, come on up. <clears throat> God, there is a big red tractor that can plow through anything. Your spirit can do anything. And we pray expectantly to see you move. Show us what our role is. Give us boldness and excitement. And, and, um, and we look forward to seeing you plow this thing. In Jesus' name, amen.